I do the same thing in anywhere I go. I try to be the guy that asks the least amount of questions and gets the little amount of guidance. I do shit without asking and just produce results, right? Low calorie, give me a end state and I would get it done really quickly, proficiently. And then he'd give me another one and I just do that to the point where I started like making myself invaluable to the organization. Is that much of it? Is that not much of a change for you, right? My name is Kerry Kite. I used to load bombs in the Air Force, and now I'm a writer, a filmmaker, and an entrepreneur. Through using the post 9-11 GI Bill to go to college, working hourly jobs to pay the bills, and freelancing my way into a career, I've studied what it takes to successfully transition from service to civilian. And that study has become a conversation. On this podcast, I speak to other veterans, successful artists and entrepreneurs about their transition, what they did well, where they failed, what they learned, and most importantly, how they applied their skills. Episode 78 features Sean Hurd, a retired Army Ranger in Green Beret and the Director of Growth at Shift Group, a sales staffing firm that helps elite athletes and military veterans transition successfully into tech sales. To tech sales. Welcome. This is Veteran Made. All right. Good afternoon, Sean. Welcome to Veteran Made. Hey, how you doing, Kerry? Uh, Thanks for uh, having me on, man. Absolutely. Um, super excited to have you. We had Jr. on last week, and I'm I'm pumped to uh, pumped to put both these episodes back to back. Pumped to have two athletes on this month. Actually, next week my wife is going to be on, and she was a college athlete um, as well. And so it's a um, it's an interesting month for the podcast, and uh, I hope everybody's enjoying it so far. And uh, I'm uh, I'm stoked to dive in with you. If you could um, just give us a brief primer on kind of who you are, where and when you you served, and then I'll jump into some questions from there. Yeah, I um I grew up I grew up here in Florida down in the on an island in the Florida Keys like south of Key Largo. And after I graduated high school, I, I went up to Orlando and did college for a year and um I tried to like fund it and live and all that type of stuff on my own with no with no help from anybody and it was just it was too tough. So I um in the back of my mind I always wanted to join the military, so I ended up joining when I was 19. And um, I joined the army as a 11 Bravo infantryman and where I went and tried out and I was assigned to uh, second of the 75th Ranger Regiment uh, for my until I made uh, E5. So I was there like three years. Um, I did uh, the very first uh, combat tour right after 9-11. So it was in 2002 with uh, 275. And then after that, I uh, tried out for special forces known as like the Green Berets where I was, uh, I made it. I, I became a 18 Bravo, which is like a special forces weapons sergeant. And I was assigned to 5th Special Forces Group in Fort Campbell, Kentucky, where, um, you know, I spent the, the rest of my career. I hopped out a couple times to do instructor gigs. Um, I did one down in Key West as a combat dive instructor for three years. And I did one as a first sergeant at our schoolhouse uh, that that taught and trained medics. And then my last job, I came down here to Tampa to retire. I taught at our senior enlisted academy at US SOCOM, uh, Joint Special Operations University. And I retired in 2021 after doing uh, 22 years as a E9 sergeant major. Fresh, fresh, uh, fresh yeah. out. I love it. And uh, quite a quite a bit of uh, threads to pull on there in terms of in terms of transition and and, and I'm sure things that you learn that you're applying in sales. Um, so, what was your? I'm curious what the 
as you're instructing there towards the end of your career, knowing you're going to retire, when did you start to think about your transition out as a senior enlisted um, member? Um, so once, in, especially in my career field and uh, as, as in special forces, the the top of the the pyramid is pretty skinny. So like um, there's only a certain amount of E9 positions and then you can either like stay on like a command track or you get pushed into like all time staff. Well, like I, I quickly realized like that I was getting pushed into all time staff. So I was like, Hey, I, I don't know how much staff work you've done, but that's just not something that like I, I wanted to do for, I could have done 30 years. Yeah, uh, I was like, Hey, I'm not going to sit here and then get out at 50 just to do staff work. I I'm still young enough to, to go do something else. So I would say about at 20 years, like when I was um, coming up at the end of what we call my company Sergeant Major time, which was like my last like tactical type job, I I, uh, I knew like it was time to hang it up and, and do something else. And what kind of plans did you put in place? What kind of strategy were you thinking about and what kind of tactics were you employing to actually transition or was it just high level thinking like, Hey, when the time comes, I'm going to finish, I'm going to finish up this gig and then I'm going to retire and see what happens. So, um, I always knew that, um, I needed to take advantage of my, my education benefits while I was active duty. Cause I just, I was just like, um, Hey, when I get out, like there, like special forces doesn't really directly tie into anything out in the the in you know civilian industry it has a lot of attributes that makes you successful but there's no like direct tie unless i want to go back into government contracting for you know three letter agencies and stuff so i knew i needed to get some education so um i got my bachelor's you know when i was in e7 and i ended up finishing my master's degree um like my last year and um, that's all really I did as far as planning for my future. I was just like, Hey, I need to get a degree in anything just so like I'm competitive when I actually figure out what I want to do. And I didn't really know what I wanted to do um, when I got out. And so what was step one upon retirement for you to figure that out? So um, I got out in 2021. Um, I actually kind of got lucky the, um, school I taught at at the university I taught at was here at McDill Air Force Base in Tampa, Florida, um, because it was an Air Force Base and we weren't like mission critical. They they wouldn't allow us to come on base for like six months during COVID. So like I was teaching courses via Zoom, you know, maybe an hour here, an hour there. And then like all the transitioning stuff that you would have to do if you lived on like an army base, it was just non-existent. So they just like pencil whipped like all the stuff. And I think it had to do with my rank too, but like I didn't do any transition stuff. I was sitting at home. So that gave me like a lot of time actually that last year to figure out like what I wanted to do. So like I was about a year out and I was like, all right, now I got to figure out what I want to do. So that's what triggered it. Yeah. It's a, it's a, I, I, it's funny you you say you use the term I got lucky I didn't have to do taps basically, um, yeah. and it's funny as I've as I've 
hosted this podcast and talked to, I think your episode 79, maybe almost 80, something like that. A couple of repeats here and there, but basically talked to 75 different people about transition out and transitioning out and, and taps always comes up as this negative thing. And it is, it's a terrible experience for, for the vast, vast majority of people who go through it. Even the people who put effort into it and, and give it their all and, and, and really kind of go through the process as granularly as possible. It really is just a, a shitty way to transition out of the military. And initially um, I, I kind of shared that negative, not kind of, I did, I shared that negative view of taps and it was, you know, almost like this podcast was an opportunity to, 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 um, kind of, you know, help fix it. Right. When in reality, I actually think it is good that the U S military, the direct department of defense is great at indoctrinating us into its systems. And it's also a good thing that it is bad at preparing us to leave because it should be focused on its mission, which is war fighting. And we should be focused on our next mission, which is whatever it is that we're going to go do with the skills and the experiences that we kind of have in our quiver. What are we going to go do with that? What do we want to go pursue? The last thing I want is the Department of Defense telling me, A, what to do, or B, how to do it on, on the outside. So I think it's a, it's a, it's kind of funny that you that you said that you got lucky uh, because you, you didn't really have to go through that process. So what did you do on your own? How did you translate your own skills and experiences to say, I'm going to take this year and I'm going to figure out what's next? Yeah. So um, the special ops community has like um, two like groups that uh, help like operators and, and people that support the and enablers that support the special operations community. The two big ones are um, the Special Operations Transition Foundation and the Honor Foundation, right? And then what they do is they're more like um, self-exploration, you know, getting ready, figuring out who you are and what you want to do and all that type of stuff. Um, I didn't want to do it. I don't know why. I just didn't want to do it. the, the one thing that was unique about my situation is like when you come down to US SOCOM, it's a four star headquarters, it's full of colonels and sergeant majors and E8, and it's like a retirement home. Like people make it down here to retire in Florida. So, like, there's a lot of people that retire. So, like, um, you get to see, like, like for the three years I was there, I saw people retire, right? And what I saw them is they all did that program that I didn't feel like none of them came back to me. They all said, Hey, it was great. I learned this, I learned that, but none of them like got a job from it. Right. So I'm like, Hey, I'm not going to invest a lot of time into something that's like not going to get me a job. And it's good for networking and all that type of stuff. So I made a decision at that point, which actually worked out for me. I was like, Hey, I'm going to go at this alone. I'm a smart guy. I'm going to figure out, you know, how, what I'm going to do on my own, which is, I, I know it sounds kind of hubris, but it's just kind of, I was uh, in this big army system for 22 years and I just wanted to be an individual and get away from groups and all that type of stuff. So I made the, the decision to go on it on my own. And that's what led me to, I knew I needed to get on LinkedIn. I didn't know what LinkedIn was, but I knew I needed to get on it. So once I got on it, uh, I just started digging around, like, um, you know, had all that time on my hands and I actually went out and talked to civilian friends of mine, not the military ones, 
and to figure out like what, you know, a bunch of people I went to high school with and stuff. And I kind of went, found the ones that made a bunch of money. And I started to realize that everybody that was successful, you know, I'm in my early forties now. I was like 39 when I started that process. The ones that were successful in my age all had some sort of like business development sales career to, and, and so I was like, I talked to them and they're like, Hey, you got a great personality. Um, you know, you're a hard worker. You should look into sales. So that's all they said was just the word sales. So when I got on LinkedIn, I don't know if you, you dig around on there, but the majority of the sales content comes from the software community. So then I started, uh, research in the software community and I was like, wow, these, these, uh, these people are making like two, three, four hundred thousand dollars and I'm looking at their background. Some of them don't even have college degrees. Some of them are just regular people. And I was like, that's what I want to do. So, uh, and, it, and that, that, that's kind of how this all started. Yeah. I think it's, it's, uh, um, sales, sales guys and gals are, it's an, it's an interesting, y'all are an interesting bunch, right? Because on the one hand, it looks like the, the, um, kind of goals and aspirations are, are revenue driven, right. And, and kind of like lifestyle driven in a way that could come across to people who don't like know who live outside that that might be a shallow thing. Right. But really what those things provide for you are the opportunities to execute on the skills that you have. And in your case developed over the course of a career in the military um, and in others, just over the course of, of a life and education and, and, and working in other things. Um, so for you, as you were looking to pursue something outside of the military, what were your reference points for what you wanted to do, how you wanted to do it? And like, what was your why as you were coming out of the military? Yeah. So here, here's the thing, man, is um, a lot of my peers, like I told you, I, you know, all the guys that left like USOCOM, we had all the services, SEALs, Green Berets, Rangers, name them, right? They, they would all like, I re, I remember it. Like I'd, I'd sit there and they're like the guys ahead of me and they're like, Hey, I just got a job at Amazon. I just got a job at Google. I just got a job at GE as a project manager. I'm making $150,000 base pay. I'm so excited. This is great. And I, I would watch them and they would all only make it about four to six months. And I, I, I would talk to them. This is before I started transition. I'm like, Hey, why? What happened to your awesome Amazon job, right? And they were like, ah, really, there was no difference between that and being in the military. Um, it was like nine to five. There was a lot of mandatory training. There was a big bureaucracy. Um, and by the way, like they piled everything on me because like I proved to them I could do work. And the person next to me wasn't doing as much work as me, but they were making the same amount of money. So I, I, I uh, stored that data point in my head. And then when I got to my transition, I was like, I'm not going to be a project manager. I'm not just going to grind it out in a corporation, which is, I might as well just stay in the military. Right. And then, so that's, that's uh, kind of my mindset is why I didn't go that route. And then uh, as far as like going into sales, um, the main driving, the main callus behind that was like, I, I, I've been gone 
and busting my ass for 22 years, missed all kinds of uh, things that everybody else got to enjoy, you know, that, that have like a, I don't know if this is the right term, but they lived a normal life. I missed it all, right? I went on eight deployments. I've been all over the world. I wouldn't change it for it, but I missed a bunch of stuff. And I missed the ability to make a bunch of like money because we don't make a lot of money. We make we make decent money, but we don't make a lot of money in the military. You make and and so I'm like, my goal, and it still is, is not to work a day past 50. Like so I'm like 43 right now. And I was like, what's the quickest way to make as much money as possible? combined with my E9 retirement to not ever have to work a day past 50 and like sales in, in my opinion is, is uh, the way to, to get to that goal. So that's why I chose it. Yeah. I love that answer. So as you were investigating uh, these opportunities on LinkedIn and starting to connect with people, so you knew what LinkedIn was. I mean, what was it like for you to start? You, you seem like a, a tinkerer. Like you seem like somebody who, who we don't know each other super well, yet, but just on the few conversations we have had, and, and I follow you on LinkedIn, like very much come across as somebody who is going to kind of tinker with things and figure them out as you go and kind of have that experiential learning process as you're, as you're doing. So what was it like for you to hit LinkedIn, learn these things and start to pick up the language and start to like really figure out how to actually navigate the platform? Yeah. So, um, I am, you, you did call it like, I'm, I'll, I'll, I'll like write something and just post it. I'm the opposite of the the person that writes it and plays with it for like five hours and then post it. I write it, post it, and then edit it throughout the day. Yeah, it, that makes sense. But uh, um, I got on LinkedIn, and the usual the, the the initial reason was just to get on there and like blind apply to to companies, right? So I I uh, I, I was just like banging out hundreds of applications to these software companies and. Like I was getting nowhere, like nowhere fast. Right. So then I, uh, I was like, you know what, like this ain't working. So I, I started like connecting with people that are doing what I, I was trying to do. And I started asking them questions, you know, like, Hey, you know, cause I didn't even know like what the job was to be honest with you. I didn't know anything. I was just like, I'm just gonna go work for a software company, apply, apply, apply. Right. So then I started talking to people and that led to me uh, networking, which is like a natural thing for a Green Beret. And uh, I started networking and getting my way into interviews. Well, um, I was getting into these interviews and I was like bombing them. Like not that I came off like unprofessional and I couldn't talk. I could talk to you, anybody just like I'm talking to you now. I just really didn't have any idea like how my attributes of what I did in the army applies to being a salesperson because mm -hmm. I didn't really know what a salesperson did. So I would, I would uh, get to these interviews and it's not, I had different experience than a lot of people. I was actually getting callbacks from these leaders and saying, Sean, man, I love that interview. I really like you. I just can't hire you because like, you don't know what you're doing, which is like a lot more than a lot of people get. They just get like a, you know, like an email from like a recruiter said, Hey, we didn't select you. So then I was like, that made me feel like, you know, I was coming on, like, you know, I was coming off like a person that they wanted to hire. Now I just have to figure out like why they're not doing it. If they're taking the time to reach out to me and say, Hey, I really like you. And I wish I could hire you, but I can't. 
So then I started seeking out guidance from uh, leaders in the space. And I had a couple that were patriots. They weren't vets, but they were patriots. And they wanted, they pulled me aside and they helped me create my story of how to apply the army, you know, what I did in army to being uh, a high level salesperson. And then once I did that, I started getting farther in interviews and getting offers and stuff. So a couple questions there. I want to, I want to back up just, just yeah. smidge here. Was that an easy conclusion for you to come to, to get that feedback as you're getting calls from these guys and gals that are saying, Hey, loved it. Can't hire you. Cause you don't know what you're doing. Like, was that, was that, is that your language retroactively or was that kind of, I mean, how did you, I know you said how it made you feel, but I want to unpack it a little bit more. Cause a, a lot of times people, especially veterans will be transitioning out of the military. They'll either hear something like that, or they'll hear something that's downstream of that idea and they'll get very discouraged. And instead of doing an after action and saying, oh man, there's actually some things I did really well there. Um, I just need to, to tweak a couple of these other things in order to get there, or I need to gain a couple more skills to get there. They're just like, oh man, I just, I'm never going to get hired. Blah, blah, blah. So was it an easy conclusion for you to come to that quickly? Or was it, did it take any sort of work internally for yourself? Uh, I almost gave up, man. Mm -hmm. Um, I almost gave up on it. And, um, you know, I was just sitting there one night and I'm like, um, like, I'm not, that's not who I am. I don't give up. Right. So like, that's not how I got to where I was at in the military. And then how I got to where I was at in the military was always adapting and learning and overcoming and changing and never being static. Right. So like, I just like kind of had to like slap myself around for lack of better term. And then I got back after it. And as you were connecting with these leaders, these civilian leaders who wanted to help you what kind of process did they take you through and what did you learn from them as as you were as you were looking back on these interviews and 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 reflecting and what kind of well the first thing they did was actually like tell me what sales reps do in software right they explained to me like what they did right and then they said hey what'd you do in the military that kind of applies to that right and then I would start like developing a story. And that's what JR is big on with our shift group candidates is like your, your story is the most important thing in an interview and not to get into like everything that I did in the military that applies to sales. But my, my, like my, my one that hit hard. And I said this on a couple other podcasts and stuff was like, Hey, you know, I'm a green beret. You know, I speak a foreign language. I, I have to go all over the world. And it, it was my job to go link up with foreign uh, partner forces, foreign governments, and sometimes the U.S. State Department and convince them to do X, Y, and Z in support of U.S. foreign policy objectives. And sometimes X, Y, and Z was dangerous. It could put the ambassador's job at risk. It could put the foreign partner forces family at risk. It, you know, there's political implications. And if I can do that, I can sell anything. And that's how I would like start the interview. And then a lot of them, like once I started doing that, they were just like staring at me like I was kind of crazy, but they're like, wow, that's pretty powerful. But I wasn't doing that in the beginning. I'm just like, Hey, I'm a leader. You know, I'm high level. Right. You know, I led 800 people, you know, and, and like, that's, you know, it's just the standard stuff that all the senior people, 
that actually do 20 years and retire say, yeah. but it like, so like, I guess the learning, if someone's watching this is like, you have to figure out exactly what the job that you're going to do and start creating your story yeah. by tying things that you did in the military to what you're going to be doing in the future. Yeah. I mean, and that's, that's back to like what the DOD is great at training you how to do that, but they're not going to be great at training you how to translate that story. And that's exactly what it is. Like we, we there was a, there was a long period of time before you retired where LinkedIn content and, and other people in the civilian world were telling us as we were applying for jobs coming out of the military, don't tell your civilian employers what you did in the military. They're not going to understand it. Don't say that you did this, this, and this. It's just going to confuse them or they'll think it's cool and they won't know how to actually respond to it and have the conversation. And I was young, you know, I was in my like mid, early twenties, mid twenties. And I'm like, yeah, that makes sense. That makes sense. And now looking back, I'm like, well, yeah, no, of course they're not going to understand it. Or of course they're going to think it's cool. You know, you were training indige forces overseas. I was loading bombs on the flight line. Those are two really cool things to say. But if neither one of us can say, well, I did this. And in my case, here's how I see the flight line on a, on a, in an advertising agency and, and marketing organization, or here's how I see the flight line on a, on a film set. And here's how I break it down and actually, you know, do that job the way that I, you know, would have done it on the flight line in the military with some adjustments like that story is super powerful, but by itself, just saying, oh yeah, no, I loaded bombs on F-15 E models in Afghanistan. Like, well, yeah, conversation's over because I haven't translated anything. And so it's on, on us to figure out how we tell that story, translate that story. And then to your point with your LinkedIn post, just kind of tinker over time and adjust and make small edits. The next conversation is going to be better. The next conversation is going to be better. Yeah, that's exactly right. And then, so like, you know, the key is this, like I said, is um, like, I don't know, man, people focus on resumes and cover letters and like pictures, like none of that really matters. Like the last four jobs, you know, I've had, I haven't even had, I never provided a resume. Right. So like, um, that's what tap and all, that's why I thought, you know, they're not that useful is this is a bunch of people that never worked where you want to work trying to tell you how to get a job somewhere that they never worked in. And they just, they're talking about resumes and stuff. Right. And I don't, I don't really, I don't think they're that important. Uh, yeah. I mean, I, yeah. I agree. I know that's a, probably a hot take, but I, I completely agree with you. I mean, the most powerful networks are made up of the most powerful relationships. And if you can get into a room, have a conversation and tell your story to a decision maker, that is what's going to move you forward from an employment standpoint um, and even from an entrepreneurial standpoint for those out there that don't want to go get into a sales organization or a marketing organization and want to go out and, and scale a business. It's the same, the same logic applies. Um, build relationships that get you into the rooms with people that make those decisions and have those conversations with them and tell them your story in a, in a, in a powerful way that, that moves them. And, um, and, and you're, and you're going to move forward. You don't need that piece of paper. <clears throat> I don't know if I stole this from JR. He said it last when you did it, but he, we tell um, we tell the people that we train that um, people rarely remember what you say when you talk to them. They remember how you make them feel. Yep. So like when, as that pertains to cold calling, sales calls, any type of interaction, it, they're going to remember, hey, that guy was cool to talk to. I'm going to show up for his next meeting. They're not going to remember much of what, what you told them. Yeah. Like, so. Yeah. Yeah. Um, 
So what was your journey like from that, from your first sales job to, to where you are now at Shift Group? It sounds like you've had, you've had a few opportunities since then. What, uh, what's your, you're talking to these guys, they're, they're mentoring you through this process. You get your first sales job. What was the, what was the cadence like from then until, until you, uh, getting to Shift Group? So, um, so service as a software SaaS is, um, it's an odd industry to, to break into, uh, the people, um, there's a lot of hubris, a lot of people, like there's a lot of like in the army, we call it like badge protecting and stuff. But the bottom line is, is like at the level that I operate at, you know, with my intelligence, my life experience, how old I am, you know, I'm like, I'm at the level of like a, a sales account executive, but in that industry, they won't let you be one unless you start off as a business development rep, which is essentially finding net new business booking meetings for account executives that close deals. It doesn't matter how old you are, what you did there. Even if you sold in another industry, they're just not going to let you do it. It's weird. So like, um, I made a, it's another decision I had to make to bet on myself. I'm like, Hey, I got to take this lower paying. Like it was like, I made more in retirement than I did in my first job, like mm-hmm. as a sales development rep. So I went in there, I actually learned how to uh, cold call, learn how to email, learn how to like get meetings, you know, learn how to develop business, which is like actually um, a core, like foundational thing you need in sales that I'll be able to take with me for the rest of my sales career. And it makes me a lot better than someone that can't do it. And I, I learned how to do that, but like, I was like, Hey, I'm not. I'm not sticking around doing this at $40,000 a year for ever. Like I got to move quick. Right. Cause I got my 50 year old plan. Yeah. So like, I did really well on my first job. Um, and it was weird. Once I got that first SAS job, I was getting like hit up by like hundreds of companies to come work for them. And I was only there like two months. Right. And, but before that I couldn't get a job. But since I already had the title, it's like, hey, come work for us. So like someone came along with like $20,000 more and I jumped over there. And then, and then uh, somebody came for another 20000 more and I jumped over there. But at each, so I did a bunch of short stints where I, uh, I, I was like, a, and I'm not bragging, I was like top rep at every one of them, uh, chasing like higher base pay which like, I think was a mistake. Like I, I wish I would have stayed at my second job because they were going to promote me to account executive probably in six months or something. But I was just like chasing base pay. And, uh, so that's one mistake I did make. But, um, when I eventually was like, Hey, I want to be a closer and, um, the market was flooded during COVID so I, I moved out of software and I went to military manufacturing and I worked for this British manufacturing company selling million dollar deals. And that's where I learned how to do like long enterprise sales cycle, which is another thing that I got, got to add to my bag. So now I can make my own business. I can do long uh, sales cycles and I can also do like fast, highly transactional sales cycles. And so that period when I was at that manufacturing company, I was traveling to Europe a lot, living in hotels. 
and I started hitting LinkedIn pretty hard, like making content. And that's when JR, the founder of Shift Group, started following me. And in the beginning of like February of last year, he hit me up and he's like, hey, um, you know, and I don't know if he said this in his podcast, but the athletic transition from being a high level athlete for 20 something years is similar to the military one where you're dedicating your life to something. It's kind of almost your lifestyle. I mean, it's more than it's a job, it's your life. And then it's gone. So he's like, my, it was always my vision to start, start shift group up with athletes and then bring on vets. And he asked me if I could just like come, come on as an advisor to uh, help him stand up that side of the program. And I was just like, I don't, you know, I'm not the advisor type. I'm like, Hey, if I'm going to come in, I told him I was going to be an advisor, but then I just like worked myself into a W2 job very quickly. So that's how that was like my plan. I love it. All right. So b- before we get there, I want to, I want to rewind just a second, ask you a question about a, a mindset thing. Cause I think this is a difference between a, a, a retire, a retiree and, and, you know, four year enlisted guy like, like me who, who gets out early. Uh, something I struggled with early in my career after I went to film school, after I got all the training um, that I needed to get to, to, to work uh, in, in production and in advertising. Biggest, one of the biggest mistakes I made early was trying to elevate myself and do more that I was technically capable of doing kind of based on my past experience, right? So, well, well, I'm actually, you know, I'm, I'm older, I'm wiser, I have more experience, I have these things. So I, I want to move more quickly through the ranks within an organization. And then that rubs some people the wrong way. And looking back, rightly so, right? Like you're just this, this kid coming out of the military and you think that you've got these skills and these experiences that you're able to just like come in and do, and you're not actually going to have having have paid your dues in this industry. Um, you know, and I had, I had a bit of a chip on my shoulder for that. Um, but you being re- retired and having even more experience, uh, th- than, than I did, it sounds like you had the right mindset kind of going into these entry level type positions and you acknowledged that you didn't want to be there doing those exact jobs, but you also acknowledged the best way out is through those jobs. Can you talk about juxtaposing those minds, those feelings kind of within your mindset and maybe some advice for, for people that are, that are either retiring or, 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 or getting out separating early, um, as they go through those entry level type positions and move through, um, those roles and responsibilities that they might not quote unquote want, but they need to learn and do and, and, and apply that or uh, get that foundation to later apply it. Yeah. So here's, here's the thing, man, is like, and this might be a hot take, but um, there, there's a big difference that the civilian world looks at enlisted people way different than an officer. Um, they don't know anything about the military, man. They watch movies, right? And who cares? I have a master's degree and I'm just as educated as my officer counterpart. Like the exact same. Some of them don't even have master's degrees, right? And the officers are able, especially the ones that are like colonels or higher, are able to leave the military and move over to the C-suite. With no, I see a lot of them do it with no issue. It I don't see a lot of enlisted people being able to do that. And a lot of it is like, I think it's like the 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 service academy networks and all that, like their college networks that they had. But a lot of it is just like what people think 
an enlisted guy does versus what an officer does. So um, it's just, it's reality. Like it's very hard, even if you're an E9 to go get a C-suite job, unless you, you want to stay in uh, the military industrial complex, right? If you want to go like sell or do ever for like one of the companies that are specifically um, sell back to what you used to do, they might hire you in the C-suite for your role, what I call your Rolodex, like your contacts, your knowledge of the military, all that type of stuff. But if you're going out into the regular civilian world, you're not going to be a COO. And by the way, like an E9 in the military doesn't have the skills to be a COO of a company because the COO is in charge of like reporting and all this other stuff that has to do with like, it's not like, running a, a a training schedule like in the military right they they they're like hey i manage 800 people i was e9 i can be a coo you have the attributes in this the the intelligence and all that but you don't have this you don't you don't have the skills to just get right into it and crush it I, and so that's that's kind of if i can impart that on people um in the the special ops communities the worst right young special operators that only do six years, they, they don't even, they have a, a, a base pay in their head. And I don't know who's telling them this, that they're worth like $200,000 coming out because they're a special operator. Like they read some like Washington post article or something about how like want it. We are, there's not, dude, there's not that companies that are going to give an E6 $200,000, man. That I, I don't know, maybe maybe in the defense industry, but other than that, it ain't happening. Yeah. So I mean, but yeah. tactically, what was your mindset like at the time as you were looking at these jobs? You're looking at the pay, and you're looking at what's on the other side of it, and moving through those ranks that way. Like, what what was your mindset? So um, it's the same thing as being a leader in special operations my whole career. Like, how can I be a leader of something if I've never done what they? what they're, what they're, I'm telling them to do and advising right. and, and training them on how to do right That's now. Right. Technology gets better. Uh, the guys get fitter, they get faster, all that type of stuff. But I've been through everything you've been through. So how am I going to, if I want to be a CRO one day and I was never a sales development rep and I never cold called, then how am I going to like sit up there and tell these kids how to, you know, how they need to suck it up and cold call. That was actually one of the main reasons. And I just had the financial stability from my retirement and my, my wife making good money to be able to start off at the bottom and bet on myself. Yeah, that's right. That's yeah. right. Um, okay. So Jared recruits you over to advise you re- recruit yourself over to embed within the organization fully. Um, what did the beginning of that relationship look like? What did you think of his thesis that, the athletic experience and the military experience are similar enough to be on parallel paths within an organization, within a pl- kind of a, pl- a placement organization like yours. What, what was that initially like? And, and, and how excited were you to, to jump on board? Um, yeah, so he's a good, he's one of the greatest sales guys ever met. And so when he told me what he was thinking and why he thinks vets would be good in sales, well, he, I mean, he ran a huge organization that did a $2 billion exit. So I'm like, hey man, if you're telling me that vets are going to be good in sales, I'm, you know, that that's the whole like he worked his way up 
through the ranks thing. I trusted him. So when I came on, uh, I was like, hey, this is this is going to be a really good way to prevent like vets to have to go through what I went through, which almost caused me to quit. And I'm one of the hardest headed dudes you'll ever meet. Right. I don't want them to have to go through that. Right. Because not a lot of people or have the time, the resources, especially if you're like junior enlisted, they don't give you all that time to, to do what I did. Right. So like, um, I, I thought, Hey, this is going to be a good way to, to mitigate people that want to get into sales to do what I have to do. And the second one is, is sales in general is just not something that people transition into. So I wanted to become an advocate of it because I got to look behind the curtain and it's a great career for all skill set, all, all kind of different jobs in the military uh, that transition over. What, uh, what was the transition like for you um, from your previous organization into this organization and how, kind of how quickly did you scale to, to where you are now? Well, like I, I do the same thing in anywhere I go. I, I try to be the guy that asks the least amount of questions and gets the little amount of guidance and just like, does, I, I do shit without asking and just produce results. Right. So like, um, low calorie, don't d- d- just give me a, a end state and I just do it. Right. So like Jared, give me like a task. I wouldn't ask a lot of questions. I would get it done really quickly, proficiently. And then he'd give me another one. And I just do that to the point where like, I started like making myself invaluable to, to the organization. So that, that was my plan the whole time. So, yeah, I guess that's, that, that's another thing is like that we can bring from the military you, and you'll be able to run circles around a lot of your civilian counterparts, especially if you have the mindset, like, Hey, I'm just going to get, get stuff done and like not be high maintenance and uh, not ask a lot of questions. Obviously if I didn't know something I asked, but I'm the type of guy that kind of looks down on people that ask questions that they can go easily find themselves unless they're in a hurry after it's critical. Right. Yeah. I'm not saying don't ask me questions, but if you can like find it or Google it and it's not like we need to know in the next two seconds, or we're going to lose like a million dollar deal. And you ask me, I just feel like you're, you're lazy. I, yeah, I, I yeah. agree. I hate that old adage that. Uh, there are no stupid questions because there absolutely are stupid questions. Um, and the it, it, a, a person brings value when they ask good, targeted questions that they otherwise would not be able to get the information to. I mean, it's like, you know, one thing, but you, I'm, obviously you did this m- multiple times since you were in the military a lot longer than I did. But if you ever stand in front of a board in the military, I'll, I'll never forget going through basic training in the Air Force. They said, um, you know, if you ever stand in front of a board and for an award or for whatever it might be, and they're asking you a question, you don't know the answer to that question. The answer is, I don't know, sir, but I will go find out. Or I don't know, ma'am, I will go find out. Right. That's the answer to that. You know, how you really make a name for yourself. You actually like find out and go back and tell them. That's like, exactly as soon as possible. Yep. That's yep. the people. Yeah. So like I, uh, and, and this is good for the, for the listeners too. Right. So when I got into sales and I started posting on LinkedIn, I started getting a lot of attention from vets that want, they were like, Oh, that's kind of interesting. And they all were like, Hey, let me pick your brain. Right. And I started doing, I thought I was trying to be nice and authentic. And I started doing all these meetings with people and it got out of control, man. Um, 
because like they would show up with no agenda. No, they didn't, they didn't even know what the hell they wanted to talk about. And I'm like over here trying to like book meetings and close deals and stuff. And I'm spending 30 minutes of my time talking to you about sales. And then they, they literally don't even do what you tell them to do and go get a project management job anyway. So like, I guess the learning thing from that is, is like, if you're going to, when you're transitioning, you're going to reach out to other vets that are in the industries you want this. And this kind of goes back to what you said, like be very like targeted with like, don't be high maintenance, right? Be very targeted with the questions you ask. And if you want to meet with somebody, Hey, I want to meet with you to learn about this, this, and this. Right. And then if people don't do that now, I won't meet with them outside of shift group. I'm like, they're just like, Hey, yeah, I want to get into sales. And I'm like, I'll just send them a link to shift group. If they don't put any effort into like, great. We um, have a program to apply for. (laughs) Yeah. Like if somebody hits me up and is like, Hey, what's a, you know, they ask me like actual questions. I'll answer them like all day. Yeah. And I'll meet with them if, if I, but like most people are just like, Hey man, what's up with like, don't, don't be lazy, man. It's, it's the same in the military when you're dealing with a commander. Like if you want a commander to, to write you like a, a memo or something that's, you know, like a reference, like in the military, you write it for them. Write it for them. You give, and it, to you them. give it to them. And then yeah. they like edit it a little bit and put their like voice into it. But you just don't say, Hey, sir, can you write me a recommendation? And then walk away. Like, this is not how it works. Right. So I took that mindset into my transition and, and my current like career. Yeah. It's an, I, I learned that lesson early, early in my enlisted career. Uh, when I, I asked a, um, a major that I'd worked with and, uh, I asked him if he could write me a recommendation for something. And he said, Oh, absolutely. You got to write it for, and he just explained that whole framework to me. And ever since then, I've always just thought, well, okay, we'll just do the most amount of work for somebody that you need something from, and then you can put whatever it is that you want in front of them and, and they can uh, then make the edits that they need to make. That's, that's going to be a recipe for success. A couple more questions before we wrap up um, on the content piece. You said that you had started writing content and then JR started following you. Where did that interest in writing content on LinkedIn come from? And, and what was the spark for you to, to use the platform that way? Um, there's, so there's, there's two reasons why I started writing content. The first one is, um, it, 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 it's a sales tactic, right? I'm not going to lie. Like it, if people, uh, like me and they're interested, they talk to me and then like, I, they, you know, I turn it into like a meeting and then an opportunity. Right. So that's the first reason. The second one is I think there's a big misconception about veterans out there um, that we're all, and it's because of these like shitty veterans that, that, I, that I don't like and I don't respect, but a lot of people think we're like victims. We need, we're poor. We need like food. Like I was making, you know, a hundred grand a year as an E9 before I retired with PAH and stuff. Like I'm not poor. I'm not a victim. I don't need a 10% discount. Right. At, so like, um, as long as we're looked at as victims, like I think like the job searching is going to be, it's always going to be hard. Right. Because like people feel bad for victims, but deep down, this is controversial. Like if you see somebody that's like begging for a job on LinkedIn because they can't pay their bills, 
nobody wants to hire that person, right? Yep. Nobody wants to hire that person because like, I don't want that drama in my organization. And you'll have the people be like, oh, you're heartless and the people and all that. I'm just telling you like how humans think. Yeah. Like if they think you're a victim and you got PTSD and you can't pay your bills, do they really want you in their organization? No, they don't want you in your organization. So like it's my, one of my goals is to, to show everybody like, Hey, we went through some hard shit. You know, it did like rewire us and give us some mental health issues and stuff, but generally we're, we're no different than everybody else. So yeah, that, yeah. that's my second goal. Yeah. I love that. I, <clears throat> I use some of the content that I'm writing on LinkedIn. Now I'm actually was working on the article before, uh, or a post rather, It'll probably be article length by the time I'm done with it before we hopped on here. And another good buddy of mine, previous guest, Cameron Cushman, um, has been using the platform the same way to to just tell tell his own story, tell our own stories. What we were describing earlier, right? Like if you're doing it in an interview and you're translating an experience or something that you had, just tell it as truthfully as you can and in you know, as long of form as necessary. And people will really then start to understand where you're coming from, how you work, why you work and, and what it is that you're trying to accomplish. Um, and, and that will, that will lead to, you know, more of what we always say on here too, which is it'll lead to more relationships, not a more connected network, but more better relationships with other humans who understand at a heart level and at a mind level, who you are, what you're doing, how you do it and why you're doing it. You know, what's crazy is like, so I'm just right under 10,000 followers. Um, I don't ever can like, I don't connect with people. Like right. I'm not the guy that's like sitting there connecting. I never connect with the only time I connect with people is they sit, I see it in my thing, but I, I don't, and I know 9,000 is like a lot to some people, but it's not a lot in the big scheme of things. And I just looked at my stats and I did a post. I, I did, I got two, two million, uh, 400,000 impressions last year. Right. And so I got a lot of people out there that like follow me, but, or sorry, that, that read my stuff or like LinkedIn props it up for some reason that aren't actually even connected or following me. Right. Which I thought was kind of, but, um, the takeaway from that is, um, especially in the, the special operations background, we don't like talking about what we do. And the guys that do talk about a lot, what we do, they get like this bad, like they call it persona non grata, right? Like, hey, why are you talking about what we did? Right. And then there's a lot of like opsec to talking about what we did, but like until number one, like I could walk back in fifth special forces group tomorrow and 95% of the people I've been going with like three years. Right. 95% of people don't even know who I am. Like have no idea who I am. Right. Because like there's new, new guys, young fight, you know, they're doing the, their thing. They don't care about like old guys. Right. Like, a, and then number two, like the only way to bridge the gap between the civilian and military cultures is to actually talk about it. Like truthfully. So like, that's one thing. It's uncomfortable sometimes for me to talk about, but I try to actually like tell some stories without getting into crazy shit about yeah. what, what I did and how that applies to like leadership and sales in a civilian world. And I think that's what people like about my content. Yeah, I, I can, can confirm. I, I agree. Um, <clears throat> at least at least on my end. Yeah. So one thing that one kind of last little thing here before we wrap up with the with the open ended questions. Um, what to. 
JR had mentioned that that kind of one of your chief tasks was to take the the athlete program that he had written for Shift Group and and, and adapt it to to the military to the military side of the house, the veteran side of the house, and um, not asking for trade secrets or anything you know necessarily specific. But is there anything there as a part of that experience for you as you were as you had that task at Shift Group that taught you anything or anything you thought about as you were doing that 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 kind of came into place for you that you hadn't initially thought about before? Yeah. So um, the big one, this is crazy too. And I hope, hope sales leaders hear this or just hiring managers. Um, hopefully we get a lot of views on this, but people think military people can't think outside the box and they just take orders. Right. And what I realized is athletes have their whole, especially in college, and if they're professional, their whole day is planned out for them. What they eat, when they go to the gym, what they do at practice, recovery, all that is like planned out for them for four years, right? The military, I don't care if you're special ops or you're just a E4 mechanic. When you get sent overseas, you, you just get egg over there and just like set up your motor pool and fix vehicles. Like we operate off of uh, intent in state and we use this process called mission command. So like military people actually are way more flexible than athletes. Right. And I don't know if you knew that or not, or even thought about that, but like, that's the big misconception is like, I don't want a military guy because all they know how to do is follow orders. They don't understand. Like we get put in these situations, especially overseas and while you're deployed where there's like no resources, nobody really knows what's going on. And then you have to quickly like figure it out and accomplish a mission. So like example, in, in your job field, um, and I do this for a lot of the vets that come through shift group and your job, and, and this helps them prepare in your job field. Like I'm sure if you deployed and you had to go set up some sort of maintenance situation in, in like Oman, at some like Omani air base that doesn't have running water. Right. And then like you show up and you have to make it happen. Like you got to go buy stuff, fix stuff, procure stuff, come up with a plan, mitigate dust, like all this other stuff that you didn't, they didn't teach you how to do. Nobody's telling you how to do it. You just figure it out. So that's the power of a veteran that I learned during the process. Yeah. Well said, uh, nothing to add there. Cosign yeah. completely. Um, yeah, so true. It's a, it's a, a myth that we can hopefully, uh, start to dispel. Yeah. Um, okay. So before we get to the open-ended question, where could folks find you? Where do you want to drive traffic, uh, on your social channels? Um, and we'll obviously link out shiftgroup.io yeah. in the, in the uh, show notes and all that stuff, but where do you want to personally drive traffic? Yeah, I, I, I live on LinkedIn. It's a, it's a, it's a sales channel for me. It's like popped up right here to my left at all times. So like the bet, just uh, DM me or connect with me or say something in my comments like, hey, I need to talk to you. And then like, we'll, we'll link up. Like I said, if you want to, if you're a veteran and you're, you want to explore sales and you want to talk to me, just do me a favor and, you know, have some questions ready that you're trying to accomplish. If not, I'm just going to send you to, to the shift group website and then you're going to sign up and you're going to get all the information that you need and a coach and all that type of stuff. But yeah, we'd like to um, get more veterans in. We had a pretty good first year, but it's not enough. Like I want to like triple what we did last year in veterans. 
I love it. Hopefully, uh, hopefully we can help with that. Yeah. Uh, okay. So to, to finish up each episode, I ask an open-ended question. Um, what is on your heart and your mind for our community? Could be a piece of advice, something you want to get off your chest, something you want to reiterate from what we've already talked about today, but what's on your heart? What's on your mind, Sean? Um, I think I already hit it, but I think there's a big divide between what I call the warrior class and the civilian educated class. And I think we have more in common than people realize. And the, the way to overcome that is to educate, right? So we can't just like live in our own little bubbles and hang out with vets and talk to ourselves. That's good. You know, if you need to work, do stuff, but if you, we need to educate everybody and the, and the, the way to do that is to be uncomfortable, like get uncomfortable, get out there and start talking about stuff. So the, the regular population knows like what we went through, who we are, and that's just going to make us like a more marketable and stronger group when we try to transition. Love it. Couldn't yeah. agree more. John, appreciate your time. Look forward to doing this again. I know it won't be the last time we speak and hopefully it's not the last time we speak and record uh, an episode to put some content out. Uh, but appreciate your time, man. Yeah, man. Thanks. All right. We'll see you. Yeah. Bye.